0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, living in light of his return. All right, so as we've been making our way verse by verse through the epistle of James, um, we've studied quite a few different topics that have been very relevant for our lives. All right, so throughout the summer, we've looked at different topics like staying faithful to the Lord even during a difficult trial. Avoiding temptation like the plague, being doers of the word and not hearers only, loving our neighbors as ourselves, having real faith, which is displayed by our good works, taming our tongues as opposed to spewing evil, possessing godly wisdom and shunning worldly wisdom, being humble instead of prideful, realizing that our lives are a mist. We're here today, gone tomorrow, therefore we need to serve the Lord like never before. And then finally last week, we talked about laying up treasure in heaven. So all the topics that we've gone through this summer have been very practical, very relevant for our lives, and it's, it's important for us not to just listen, but to actually uh, fully employ, fully live out these godly principles. All right, so next week is gonna be, can you believe it, our last message in the book of James. And so next week, it's gonna be all about the topic of powerful prayer, and I hope you'll join us next week for another practical teaching. Today, I'm very excited to look at the topic of Christ's imminent return and what kind of people we should be in light of that future event. And so right now, both here and at home, if you're looking at James chapter five, verse seven, if you're looking at it either on your phone or in the the scripture, could you say amen? amen? Okay, we're gonna continue verse by verse. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord, look at this, is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And by the way, he's speaking to brothers, he's speaking to Christians, and he says, the judge is standing at the door. That means that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. All right, so James is now kicking off yet another topic in his little letter to the Christian community. And so in verse seven, he encourages all of us to be patient, here it is, until the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord. I just wonder, how many of you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will absolutely return you believe that? I believe it with all my heart. And if you said amen, you're in good company because the apostles, the apostles also believed in Christ's return, and, and listen to this. They lived with this wonderful expectancy that the Lord could come in their lifetime. So this already, already leads you to your first point if you wanna take notes this morning and that is that the Lord wants every generation of believers to live in the light of Christ's imminent return. The Lord desires every generation of believers to live in light of his return. And now, concerning the timing of his return, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 26, that no one knows the day or the hour. Okay, no one knows, no one knows the day or the hour. Therefore, we should never set dates, right? If anyone sets a date, they're off base. Don't listen to them. Please don't buy their book. If you buy their book, you're wasting your money and you're wasting your time. We don't set dates. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right before his ascension, when the disciples in Acts chapter one, verse six, asked the Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom into Israel? And let me just pause right there and get away from my notes for a moment. Think through this with me. I'm going to go a little bit deeper with you. And I'm gonna expose a false doctrine within a lot of churches. The disciples said in Acts one, six, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? To Israel. Do you know why they said will you at this time Jesus Messiah restore the kingdom to Israel? Because those guys actually believed that the Abrahamic covenant was unconditional. Those guys actually believed that the Davidic covenant was unconditional. They really believed all the promises of God in the Old Testament that he would restore the kingdom, listen to this, to Israel. And so the Lord did not reply to their question. Well, you gotta understand, boys, I'm done with Israel. I'm done with the Jews. They've rejected me too many times. I'm done. The church is now gonna replace Israel. That is not what the Lord Jesus said. You know why? Because Jesus is not done with Israel. Jesus is not done with the Jews. And by the way, you'll hear in a moment, One of the main purposes of the tribulation is to bring Israel back into a right relationship with the Father through the Son with the help of the Holy Spirit of God. He's not done with Israel, but getting back to our don't set dates, he said, they asked him, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And the Lord Jesus replied, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Okay, so he already said it in Matthew 24, 26, no one knows the day or the hour, now in Acts chapter one, verse seven, he says, hey, it's not for you to know. Times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus was very clear. We're not supposed to know when he's gonna return. But here's what you need to know, that does not mean that we can be lackadaisical about his return. That does not mean that we can be apathetic about his return, no, rather like the apostles, we gotta live in light of his return. And so even though the apostles didn't know times, and even though the apostles didn't know dates, as I said before, they lived in this wonderful expectancy that the Lord could come in their lifetime. Look at what Paul said to the church of Rome. He said, the night is far gone. The day is, what's the next two words? At hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Check out what Peter, another apostle, said. The end of all things is, what's the next two words? At hand, therefore be self-controlled and be sober-minded. Look at what the author of Hebrews said. Let us consider one another in order to stir up loving, good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's the same Greek word as at hand. And then James said in in his passage today, we already read it, you also be patient, strengthen or establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is what? At hand. So whether you're Paul, or you're Peter, or you're the author of Hebrews, or James, they all use the same Greek word concerning Jesus, uh, Jesus' return. And that English word is approaching or at hand. And so if the apostles in the first century lived in the light of Christ's imminent return, it follows that every generation should live the same way. And what is his return gonna look like? Well, Paul told us, check it out. And by the way, this is the word of God, which by the way, a lot of people on the internet make fun of this. That's our culture. But you need to know as a people of God, this is the word of God. And when God speaks, it always happens. And so for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then, look at this, we. You know why Paul said we? Because he lived in the wonderful expectancy that the Lord could come in his lifetime. He was excited about it. It caused him to be fervent in his relationship with the Lord. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. The Greek word for caught up is harpazo. In the Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible, it is translated as rapimur, which is similar to our English word Rapture. I don't care how much they make fun of this on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, don't let anybody ever tell you that the rapture is not in the Bible. It's right there. We will be caught up. We will be snatched up. We will be grabbed up. This is the word of the Lord, and we gotta live our lives in preparation for that eminent rapture. That's the truth. It could happen at any moment. And this is what the church needs to hear. There is no sign that must precede it. It's important right now to highlight the fact that there are two phases to Christ's return. Phase one is the rapture of the church. Phase two is the second coming. Those two phases are very different. You need to understand this if you're new to the Bible so the New Testament, as far as eschatology is concerned, makes sense to you. Very different. The rapture will occur before the tribulation. The second coming will occur after, at the end of the tribulation. The rapture, at the rapture, Jesus comes for his saints, his bride, the church. At the second coming, he comes with us back to the earth. At the rapture, Jesus comes to the clouds and he puts on the brakes. At the second coming, he goes all the way down to the Mount of Olives, and when he steps down, that mountain is split in two. At the rapture, Jesus comes, if you're with me, say amen here. Listen to this. At the rapture, Jesus comes as a groom to take his bride to the Father's house. I love that. And yes, there are many parallels to the ancient Galilean wedding and the rapture of the church. Jesus Christ, when he comes at the rapture, he comes as a groom to take his bride to the Father's house at the second coming. No, 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 he comes as a warrior coming down to judge the nations that have rejected him. At the rapture, Jesus saves his bride from the wrath of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not appointed under wrath. That's the word of God. The wrath of God, as far as we're concerned, it's already been poured out on Jesus on the cross. This is why we believe in the substitutionary atonement. We don't have to worry about the wrath of God, those of us who are in Christ. We don't have to be scared about it because Jesus already took the wrath of God in our place. That's why we're saved, and so hey, When he comes, he's coming to save his bride from the wrath of God, which is being poured out during the tribulation period. That's the rapture, he saves us from the wrath, but at the second coming, no, 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 he goes down to the Valley of Megiddo, I've been there, I've seen it four or five times. He goes to the Valley of Armageddon and he gives, he administers the final dose of God's wrath on the armies that are there to conquer Israel. Something else very important to understand, too, that before the rapture, life is normal, right? So people are eating and drinking, they're buying and selling, they're planting and building. The rapture occurs. Before the second coming, completely different picture. Before the second coming, there's one cataclysmic event after another as the Lord breaks the seals, blows the trumpets, pours out the bowls of wrath upon this earth. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're not here during the tribulation. I hope you know Jesus Christ. I hope you accepted the fact that he took God's wrath in your place and you've received him as your savior and Lord of your life. Here's what I know, that people in the tribulation, they, they come over here and they look out down Down uh, St. James Avenue, Midway, or wherever they look, it's gonna be a war zone. It's not gonna be life as usual. And so I'll say it again, before the rapture, there are no signs that must take place. Before the second coming, there are many signs that must take place. We've gone through them in Revelation chapter six, all the way to 18, all of that's gotta take place before the second coming of Christ in Revelation chapter 19. Rapture, second coming, two different phases of the Lord's return. If you wanna dive deeper into this topic, I wanna refer you to a short article by Dr. Thomas Ice. I had the uh, privilege of having lunch with this, he's a scholar, uh, with some other Calvary Chapel pastors at a Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference, Um, but um, if you go to Liberty University Scholars Crossing, uh, or or if you just type in eminency and the any moment rapture in the Google search, You'll get a very short, you can read this in less than five minutes, uh, but great article that explains what eminency is and what eminency is not. I also refer you to our end times conference that we had right here at Calvary last February. If you were here to hear Dr. Ed Heinson, raise your hand please. It was a great conference, he's a great speaker. He's my favorite professor um, in seminary but I wanna encourage you to go back and listen to those or watch those messages. If you wanna watch those messages, you go to our website. You click on sermons and you click on recent sermons and then go all the way to the bottom of that page. We got the whole conference right there. You can watch or you can listen. Also on our website is my series um, in Revelation that I did in 2017. And again, if you're with me, say amen. Anything, anything. That Dr. Charles Ryrie, Dr. John MacArthur, Dr. Norman Geisler, Chuck Swindoll, Chuck Smith, David Guzik, the Got Questions um, website—anything that they say about the end times is gold. So there's a lot of miscommunication, a lot of error on the internet. Make sure you're listening to the right people. The rapture is imminent, since the Lord could come for His church at any moment. What kind of people should we be? Well, number one, we need to be patient like the farmer. Patient like the farmer. Look at it again in the Word of God, verse seven. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains, the early and late rains. You also be patient, strengthen or establish your hearts. Here it is again. For the coming of the Lord is at hand, is at hand. All right, and so the early and late rains that James referred to had to do with the planting and the harvesting of wheat in Israel. And so. The the farmer would plant his seed in October, November, that time frame. He would plant his seed, and then during those months of October and November, he would begin to pray, Lord, send the early rains. God, send the early rains. Why? Because the rain would soften the soil, making plowing easier, and also planting and the germination of his seed. That's October, November. Then the farmer would patiently wait until the following year, March, April timeframe, and then that farmer would start to pray for the late rains. God, please send the late rains, why? Because the late rains would help his crop fully mature, and so if the early and the late rains actually came, then that farmer could look forward to a bountiful harvest, and the reapers would come in the spring around May and reap the harvest. What's the point? Point is that just like the farmer had to patiently wait, ladies and gentlemen, he had to wait seven months from the time that he planted the seed in October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May until the time he could finally harvest the fruit, the wheat, he had to be very, very patient. But here's what I know, that when those reapers in May came in, bringing in the sheaves, it was so sweet And James makes a parallel between you and the farmer. What does he say? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient, keep saying it. Establish your hearts, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Okay, and so just like the farmer waited patiently for the harvest, You and I gotta wait patiently for the coming of the Lord and when that trumpet sounds and when we're snatched up, caught up, grabbed up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, here's what I know, how sweet that is gonna be. And so wait, be patient. I know life's hard. I know life is filled with trials. Hey, guess what? We're not home yet. This is not our home. We're just passing through. The kingdom age is later on down the road. We just need, as pilgrims and strangers, to endure and accurately represent the Lord as we're going through this mist of a life that we call life on earth. Be patient. He's coming. He's gonna rescue us. Since the Lord could come for his church at any moment, what kind of people should we be? Well, number two, if you're taking notes, is we need to be forgiving like the Lord. So if you're new to Calvary, this is is what we do. We just go verse by verse because we really believe this is God's word. And God says, my son's gonna come back and you, in light of that, need to be forgiving like he was forgiving. Look at verse nine. He says, do not grumble. Everybody say the word grumble. Yeah, I like the way you said that. By the way, okay, this will only take one minute. Let me just say this. In light of the political season that we're in right now, right, none of this is in the notes, but in light of this political season that we're in right now, there's two temptations for born again Christians like you and me. Number one temptation is that we're gonna grumble all the way against those who don't agree with us politically. Can you not do that? Can we not do that? I know it gets frustrating. I know there's things that we think, don't they get it? I mean, it just seems like common sense. But don't grumble, be patient. With Accurately represent the Lord. The other temptation in this political season is that we as born again Christians will exalt in our hearts American politics over the kingdom of Christ. Don't do that, it's idolatry. Here's what needs to happen, right? American politics is down here. You can be politically active, everybody should vote, everybody in this room, everybody watching on camera, all of us need to vote. Right As I said before, a Bible in one hand, a ballot in the other. We need to vote our biblical values. There's a lot at stake. We need to vote. But here's what you need to do. Don't exalt American politics in your heart above the Lord or above his kingdom. We are first citizens of the kingdom, then we're Americans. That's the truth. And so the word grumble in verse nine, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That word means to sigh or to groan. So the idea is that when someone offends us, instead of being patient and forgiving, we grumble. Right, we get, get this bitter attitude toward them. We moan and groan against them. If you have the King James Version, verse nine, it says, and I quote, grudge not one against another. So here's the question. How can we hold a grudge against anybody and still pray the way the Lord taught us to pray? How can we do that? Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, trespasses, sins, as we forgive those who have sinned against us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Did you hear that? Why don't we just say words in the air like it's a poem to be recited? No, this is the way Jesus taught us to pray. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then he said, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're refusing to forgive somebody, you are in a self-inflicted prison cell. Why are you sitting there? Why are you sitting there holding a grudge? Why are you sitting there so angry, so upset, stewing, moaning and groaning groaning and grumbling and bitter and angry and hurt against that person? If there's anybody right now and within the sound of my voice that's sitting in a prison cell of unforgiveness and bitterness, you need to know that Christ has given you a key to get out of that prison cell. It's called the key of forgiveness. You just gotta let it go. You just gotta forgive him from your heart. You say, I don't want to. You don't know what they did to me. All right, so as you sit in that bondage of bitterness, as you sit in that prison of pain, I want you to ask yourself this question. Ask yourself this question. How can I withhold forgiveness from this person when God has forgiven me of so much? How can you do that? How many sins do you think God has forgiven you of? A whole lot. And you're not gonna forgive the one, two, three, four, five? Well, this guy offended me a hundred times. That's nothing compared to what God has forgiven you of. Freely forgiven, we freely forgive. Don't hold bitterness in your heart towards that person anymore. Use the key and set yourself free. Get out of that prison of anger, bitterness. You don't want to have any regrets when Jesus Christ comes. He could come at any moment. The judge, in the context of what I'm saying right now, is standing at the door. And we're all going to give account of our lives to Jesus. Since the Lord could come for his church at any moment, what kind of people should we be? Number three, if you're taking notes, we need to be bold like the prophets. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. All right, so who's he talking about? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Moses was a prophet, Elijah, Elisha, all those men, so many more. They all spoke to their generations boldly. They spoke truth boldly to their generations, no matter how much suffering came down the pike, no matter how much opposition that they faced. And so in light of Christ's imminent return, that is the context of the text, in the light of the fact that he could come at any moment, we need to boldly speak truth to our generation. We need to get over this political correctness. We need to get over this thing, well, I can't offend anybody. I don't wanna hurt their feelings. Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. The whole thing of your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth is gonna send a lot of people to hell. No, 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 you know who has the truth? Born again Christians who actually open up the book of truth and read it and apply it to their lives. You mean to tell me that people who ignore the Bible are not living in truth? They're living only in truth as they're living in accordance with the word of God, whether they've read it or not. This is truth, ladies and gentlemen. We have the truth, so we have to speak the truth, but we gotta speak the truth in love. And here's what what I know, that when you do that, put your seatbelt on, because people are gonna get upset at you, they're gonna push back at you, and they're gonna get nasty toward you. Now when they get upset at you, and they push back at you, and they get nasty toward you, don't get all upset. Remember the words of Jesus, check it out. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Here it is. Be down in the dumps? No, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted, here it is, the prophets who were before you. And so here, here's what I know. As you speak the truth in love, speak boldly to your generation, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and some of them get mad, right? because who likes truth if you're living in error? Who likes light if you're living in darkness? Husbands, t- tonight at 1 a.m., I want you to take your phone, put on that, that flashlight, shake your wife and say, honey, and just put it right in her eyes. See what happens to you. She's not gonna like it. The culture is living in error. They're living in darkness. They don't like what people like us say. And they're gonna push back. And and don't don't make the mistake that I've made so often in my Christian life. I tell you, when when people push back and they get ugly toward me, I get get upset, I get discouraged, and I'm forgetting that right there. Jesus said, no, don't get mad, get glad. Don't get discouraged, rejoice. You got the honor of suffering like the prophets of old and you got a reward waiting for you in heaven. All right, since the Lord could come for his church at any moment, what kind of people should we be? Number four, we should be steadfast like Job. Verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay, so most of you guys know the story of Job this morning. I'm not going to tell it in detail, but here's what I, what I know. Job is one of the most fascinating stories in all of the Bible, and what, what it tells us is that anybody with the help of the Lord can make it through anything. Anybody can make it through anything with the help of the Lord. And so Job, after losing his oxen, his cattle, his sheep, his camels, and a million times worse, Job, on the same terrible day, gets the news that his seven sons and three daughters have been wiped out in a storm, dead. After his health deteriorated and after his distraught wife said, just curse God and die. After all of that, Job somehow was able to later say this in Job 23:10, God knows the way that I take when he has tested me. I'm going to come forth as gold. I love that. I love that spirit of dogged determination. So many people, they just quit church because of the littlest, minutest little thing in their lives. Look at Job and all he went through. And he said, you know what? I'm gonna come forth as gold. I'm gonna be steadfast for the Lord. And what did James say about it in verse 11? He said, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful, right? But so many people they would have this attitude like compassionate, merciful, Job lost his livelihood. Job lost all his kids. That doesn't sound like compassion. That doesn't sound like mercy to me. That sounds to me like an unloving and cruel God. There's lots of people in our culture today that have that attitude toward God because of hardship in their lives. So if anybody has that attitude or is even starting to go down that road, let me ask you a question. I'll ask you two questions. Number one, was was Job a better man at the end of the book than he was at the beginning of the book? Yeah. After all the difficulty he went through, he learned many, many lessons in life and he was a humbler man. Question number two, was Job a more blessed man at the end of the book than he was at the beginning of the book? Again, the answer is yes. In chapter one, it says he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and it said he had seven sons and three daughters. In chapter one, he loses it all. Chapter 42, at the end of the book, it says that God gave Job twice as much as he had before. Check this out right here. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, that's double, 6,000 camels, 100 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys, and he also had seven sons and three daughters. Now, if you're paying attention this morning, you may be thinking right now, wait a minute. If in chapter one, Job had seven sons and three daughters, and the Lord said that he doubled and blessed him twice as much as he had before, shouldn't it say in the end of the book, chapter 42, that he had 14 sons and six daughters? Well, that's a great question, let me answer it. Giving Job seven sons and three daughters in chapter 42 at the end of the book did double the amount of his kids because the seven sons and the three daughters back in chapter one who died We're still alive, and right now, Job is rejoicing with 14 sons and six daughters. No wonder James says that God is compassionate and merciful to Job and to us all. He's compassionate and merciful to you. No matter what you're going through this morning, no matter what difficulty, no matter what hardship, no matter what trial you're going through today, number one, It's not as bad as Job, and he made it. But number two, I know it's really hard. You're gonna make it too if you keep your eyes on the Lord. If you stay focused on him, if you don't listen to the whisper of the enemy in your ear. You see, it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said, and I quote, if a man were to attack me with a knife, I would resist him with all my strength and count it a tragedy if he, had, if, if he succeeded. Yet if a surgeon comes to me with a knife, I welcome both him and the knife. Let him cut me open even wider than the knife attacker because I know his purpose is good and his purpose is necessary. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan came at Job with a knife, wanting to do him in. But what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. And God who is sovereign and God who is in control has that knife and this he has the, the enemy on a, a, a leash. And I tell you what, like a surgeon, he's gonna use that knife of hardship and difficulty and suffering in your life to make you a better person. That's the truth. And so since the Lord could, could come for his church at any moment, What kind of people should we be? Patient, like the farmer. Forgiving, like the Lord. Bold, like the prophets. Steadfast, like Job. Why, what's the motivation? Because the judge is standing at the door at any moment the trumpet could sound, and we're off to the judgment seat of Christ. And if we have those character traits up and running in our lives, we will be rewarded. We will receive crowns, not as I said last week, to hoard for all eternity, but to cast at our dear Savior's feet.